Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I am Adam. And we are here for our Christmas party. Woohoo! Hey. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. I've got a bottle opener in one hand and a bottle in the other. It's you not man, working. I've been drinking <laughs> for about 30 years. You think I'd know how to open a pissing bottle? Yes. Is this, like, is this, is this a dog bottle Jennifer's giving you? Oh, there we go. Yay. <laughs> Noiseless. Anyway, um, yes, uh, there will be spoilers. There will be swearing. Definitely go and watch this, as we've said, with all of the inside number nines, because, uh, uh, yeah, although they're fantastic to watch, they work so much better the first time round. So don't let us ruin it for you, because uh, it's amazing. Um, so this evening, we are going to be covering uh, The Harrowing and The Devil of Christmas. Um, so, first up, let's cover the harrowing, shall we? Mm. Um, yeah, I, I remember when this one first aired, being really super excited. Um, I think I mentioned before, mm. like, obviously, I know the guys are all really into their horror. So, I was watching yeah. the whole of the first series going, is it going to be a horror one? Is it going to be a horror one? And then waiting until the last episode. Oh, yeah, and this just cherry on the cake yeah. season one, isn't it? I th I think that they, I think they probably deliberately held back because it was like, right, we can do a balls out horror. We're not putting that one first. Put, <laughs> no, because it could put yeah. people off. If people, oh, hundred percent. If, if people watch this one, I think like Sardines starting series one was probably the best because it gives you, you know, that's it basically gives you the proper setup of. Right, what you're about to get is about 20 minutes roughly of comedy, 10 minutes of horrible unease, mm. Mm -hmm. and a twist, and a yeah. payoff. Um, so, but I think the harrowing would have been, as a, I mean, we would have been sold. Yeah, but yeah. I think, you know, there is a, the, the league's fan base isn't just purely people who also have watched The Devil Rides Out. <laughs> mm. so, a hundred times so right so it's funny lee that you actually said it works better the first time it it you know that makes sense because you don't know the twist but actually mm. for some reason i so enjoyed watching this the second time mm. and i was i was thinking you know yeah maybe i won't but for some reason in a way almost the comedy works more because i'm not on edge as much thinking wait where's this going to mm. go yeah like and trying to guess it it's just like no i kind of you know i, I forgot a little bit a few of the details but then yeah some of the jokes it's just like you're more relaxed and you're just enjoying the way that they have constructed so many yes. like little details you just think yeah you've just got that so well and it was yeah, it was making me laugh so much more this time around That's uh, definitely... uh, sorry no, go on, man. i was just gonna say i was gonna say Lee, Adam, go. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I think the cast for this one is just like I, I loved, as we said before. You know the way that they do have people in just the once and let them do one. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, the cast in this one is just phenomenal. I remember at the time, as, as soon as I realised it was going to be a horror one, I was excited. And then of course Helen McCrory comes in, um, uh, and Amy, who plays Katie, who I've mm. seen in other stuff as well. Um, she was in yeah, Luther. She was around, yeah, around the same time she was in Luther, um, again, playing up to the fact that she 
looks so much younger than she actually is. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, she does a good job of that as well. Like, even her speech and everything, she comes yeah, across as quite really a, a young convincing. girl. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, I just... Uh, yeah, I, I, I just love that whole... I mean, it's very much the story. of This is pr- is very much the same as um, House of the Devil. Yeah, effectively, oh, um, which we do need to cover on the show because you do need to see it, Chris. It sounds like we do. Yeah, 100%. yeah, you might, you might have an inkling as to what happens in it. Um, <laughs> but that 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 was one of the influences that they talked about, or sort of said that you know, it's. Because, yeah, when I was watching it, it was House of the Devil with the score from Suspiria was pretty much how I was yeah. watching it. And then in in the sort of, um, I'm going to say again, because it's a great thing, The Insider's Guide to Inside Number 9 by Mark Salisbury is where I've got most of my notes and sort yeah. of additional info and stuff like that from. And, yeah, they mentioned House of the, they mentioned House of the Devil, um they like D- David Kerr, the director, mentions because the score was going in that sort of goblin, but also that sort of electronic. Because apparently, um, um, he uh, like the composer uh, dug out a load of um, uh, yeah, Christian Henson dug out a load of his old analog synths and stuff like that to go mm-hmm. for this one. Um, and um, yeah, I think it's really one of their best ones because this is almost like they've not got to they're they're not having to sell you say for example like we had with seance time which sells you that you're going to be watching a very scary sort of you know almost to the point of cliche horror thing Mm -hmm. and then that actually gets then subverted and actually no you're watching a hidden camera show and stuff like that whereas this is Dread and unease from the start, and it yeah. stays there because mm. this is, yeah, this is the horror one, as it were. It, but as we, you know, as we say, although it does have a lot of similarities to House of the Devil, what I love about House of the Devil is that it keeps that tension going for mm. such a long time. But this has just as much tension and somehow manages to cram it into a third of the runtime and just yeah. keep it. You know, like it doesn't feel rushed. Everything's allowed to take as long as it needs to take to build that discomfort and unease. Mm. But they do it in such a short period of time. It's absolutely insane. While still being funny. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, because yeah. That's, that's, that's the cleverest thing is because uh, and it's, I'm not going to claim that it's an easy sell to sell Dread because so many films fail to do it. Yeah. And they're, the ones that really do it are exceptionally good. Um, but, yeah, they are rarely humorous as well. I was trying to think, the humour in this, like, it is kind of deadpan, isn't it, throughout? It's, they're, yeah. they're making the jokes, but it's, it's not, you know, they're not setting you up, really. It's, um, yeah, like just some of the little comments that each of them make. Like, what is it? Do you know Poe? Oh, yeah. It's the Teletubbies. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just short, like... It's yeah, and they're just talking, but then um, what was her name, McCroy? Like it's just yeah. the way she's looking, and then she adjusts to sort of move past that. Which in in reality, you know, that'd be very awkward. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, they, she moves on, and it's funny again. Well, even in the even at the super tense part at the end, you know, 
where he pulls mm. out a taser and she goes, right, so you haven't got the internet, but you've got a fucking taser. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't take the tension away. I don't know how they yeah. manage They just manage yeah. to, to keep everything. There's so many balls in the air at once. And, mm. and yeah. there's, just, there's never a misstep. I, I honestly don't know how they manage it. It's phenomenal. The, the beauty of the humour of it as well is that feels... Uh, and I, I don't know whether this is like my brain or sort of a lot of people but the comedic bits actually also sell the reality to yeah. me in so much as it's like they go through the whole thing of you've been chosen and he will enter your body and she just go fuck off yeah. <laughs> and yeah it's funny but how is that not your reaction if someone yeah. starts doing that like these two extraordinary dressed and weird people start telling you that they're going to be the vessel for a mischief demon. You know, yeah, you, mischief. You yeah, the way, the way he says that over and yeah. over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and those yeah. cloven feet as well, like, it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's just, it's so beautifully done. Um, well, originally they were, they were going to have Andras more obviously a demon. Mm-hmm. But from a budgetary point of view, they couldn't have like a full winged prosthetic made up demon. So they sort of set about going back on it. And that's when they brought in the sort of elements of, Oh, is this actually as, um, Katie thinks, Oh no, this is just abuse. This is just, yeah. 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 You know, this is just, and again, it's that lovely thing of your brain uh, that I think that she is, an extremely rational and clever character. I mean, obviously, she's just caught in a fucking awful circumstance. Mm. Mm. But her reactions, like, it's like, she's not going to go in there and it's like, right, this is why they're being creepy is because they've got this poor bastard locked up in here. Mm. Let's get him out. Let's help him. Mm. And even when they go through that, she doesn't follow the demonology supernatural element of it she is just like no you're just treating him like shit yeah my yeah. mum's got hard feet, uh, like, yeah. hard feet <laughs> and all those sort of bits mm. but yeah so they again working within the restrictions they've got i think has probably added to it rather than having uh, yeah yeah quite possibly. like something that is clearly mm. a supernatural entity sitting in the bed you've just got this possibly disabled old man, you know, or sort of, or just maltreated figure. Um, they said that they, what was it? The, the, the things they said for him were um, obviously the pale man from Pan's Labyrinth mm. uh, was an inspiration on that. Um, and Sloth in Seven. Yeah. You know, I'll when they five, in, yeah. yeah. Um, and also they wanted him to move like the Judder man from the Mets advert. <laughs> which is, which again is one of those weird ones that does seem to have just stuck with a lot of people. Yeah. Of and and certainly a lot of sort of younger watchers who were like sort of, you know, that's genuinely one of those sort of childhood creepy moments of just what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um. But oh, and to so obviously, like I said, we're talking series one. We're talking episode six, which was the. Uh, so it was the, the last one. First broadcast on the 12th of March, 2014. 
Um, and the director is David Kerr, who directed all of series one. Mm. So oh, I didn't realise that. that. That whole thing, because I assumed, sort of when I was looking back through it, I was like, oh, they must have always used multiple directors. But no, the first series is just uh, David Kerr, who did every single one. So the fact that they are so varied and everything else like that yeah. is a real testament to him as much as them. Because yeah, so what, what else... So, so, so series one is Sardines, A Quiet Night In, which is the silent one, Tom and Jerry, uh, Last Gasp, and The Understudy. Um, and then obviously this. And then he also did uh, Zanzibar and To Have and To Halt uh, mm-hmm. in series four. So um, he's, he also directed uh, Johnny English Strikes Again. <laughs> but that seems yeah, a bit but he different. also directed yeah. he also directed Monkey Trousers, that Mitchell and Webb look, that Mitchell and Webb situation, mm. White's okay. uh No Offense and Fresh Meat. So, you know, he's there's <laughs> There's some I would say some similarities with the Mitchell and Webb. They get kind of eerie with or Oh Mitchell yeah. Webb. Yeah, no. they have some sinister characters in that as well, which is always nice. Yeah. And he talked about um he talked about the innocence, the haunting, the orphanage, and the others. Um, and I know that definitely, like the haunting and the others, have come up on previous ones we've looked at. Mm. So I think they're pretty sort of key works when they're sort of going for this sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, um, I think I was gonna say I think this is the first one as well that didn't have Steve Pemberton in. And I remember the first yes. time watching it through, just waiting to see Andras and being like. It's clearly going to be Steve. It's got to be yeah. Steve. And then when it wasn't, I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, that's totally thrown me. <laughs> yeah. Well, because there's, because it's weird. They never got, they've never gone back and done that. But um, the, oh, excuse me, the uh, first series, um, I, I think it's The Last Breath, Reese is not in it. Mm. And I think that that's uh, the last gasp, sorry. Mm. Um, yeah, Reese isn't in that one. So I think possibly there was going to be a plan that they wouldn't always appear. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's because obviously when they were doing the league with Mark Gatiss, they were pretty much the entire cast. Yeah. And then they did Psychoville. And although they play multiple characters in Psychoville, you've also got actors playing other characters. Yeah. And major characters. It's not just like a waiter or someone in a pub, you know, you've got Dawn French in there and, and uh, so on. And uh, Daniel Kaluuya, and yeah, so there's a lot of um, so I wonder if they were almost going for that, where it's like, well, eventually, would we just cast this, mm. um, and just let it run? Because, um, yeah, I think it was only, I think, yeah, I was, I was in the same thing when I, when I first watched it, as it was like, well, Andras is clearly going to be Steve, um, you know, which certainly would not have been as effective as. Um, the guy they've got, Sean Buckley, yeah. is just um, he's a, a movement artist. He worked with like Stephen Burkhoff and stuff like that, so he's like a performance artist. Um, so he can, but he's in uh, he's in the fifth element, he's a scientist in the fifth element. Oh. Um, he's in, he, I mean, clearly he's in fucking Game of Thrones because <laughs> you do not have to do anything to him to make him terrifying. Um, Peaky Blinders. Um, oh, with Helen Murray again. Yeah, exactly. And um, uh, Amy 
Fionn Edwards, she was in uh, Peaky Blinders as well. Oh yes, she was. Yes. Yeah, she was another. She was another Shelby. So, yeah, and um, but I think that uh, yeah, he, his um, he was in the Wedding of River Song, like Doctor Herbert said. But the thing that I thought of was he's Albert in Toast of London, uh, the Moose Trap, which is where he's going and doing this awful play, and he's like the stagehand, but he only ever appears in like a sort of Lynchian blaze of electricity and just stands there looking fucking terrifying. <laughs> and, and that is literally it. That is literally what he does. But it's, yeah. Um, but no, he's a really, you know, and again, it's that thing of you've got, you know, someone might have sat there and said, oh, well, you've just got some bloke lying in a bed, but they've gone and got someone who can really. Yeah, sell that you character know, on multiple levels. I mean, it's. Yeah. It, it, and it, that's the thing with this. Again, I know we've said it before with previous episodes of Inside Number Nine. When it's such a small cast, every performance mm. counts. Like everyone has to be selling it a hundred percent, or it just doesn't work. Um, yeah, which is why it's lovely to see all these fantastic actors who you know so well from other stuff. Uh, yeah, to just see them come on and just absolutely sell the shit out of this stuff. It's so much. Yeah. So much fun, and it's always it was always exciting when it was first airing, because I yes. always made a point of not looking into it and waiting for mm. the episode, and then going, "Oh, it's her! Oh, it's him! Oh, awesome! Oh, I haven't seen him since so and so." Yeah, and it kind yeah. of added to it. It was a bit of a like a variety performance. There was always somebody there that mm. yeah that you just you knew you were, you loved from other stuff, and they just popped up. I mean, I think that's the thing. They must be so well regarded in the industry. To be able to get these people to just drop, I mean, you think pretty much um, anyone they need. Yeah, I mm, mean, Helen McGrory was doing the Harry Potter movies at this point, and still just came yeah. and yeah. So well, apparently, apparently, she was in a she was in a play with Reese, and he sort of suggested to her at that point, like, "Did you want to come and do this?" And apparently, she was really up for it. But again, like you say, I think it's just that level of respect and cachet that they've got within mm. you know because everyone knows they're really fucking good yeah. even if even if it's just the thing of it's like well they're really successful so maybe i could do with being in an episode of yeah. something <laughs> they've done you know what i mean it's yeah. like um but well, i mean certainly not in Helen mccrory's case but um <laughs> uh who, who actually i, I had realized we last saw in episode one, two, four, interview with the vampire, where she played second whore. So you oh, know, really? that's the, not not even first. Not even first. No, yeah. but, you know, she's, she's come a, a long way. It's a it's a meteoric career. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, no longer with us. But um, I was going to say, yeah, shame we lost her last year, didn't we? But um, was it last year? I think yeah, I think it was yeah. actually yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the, and I think that. Um, Oh, the what is it? They mentioned it, the Gospel of Nicodemus. I was looking into it. Mm. That genuinely is a text. It's apocryphal Bible text, so it's stuff that's not considered part of the canon. Like it's not properly one of the Gospels, but it's, it's, it's there. a side quest. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's basically it's Andor, or sort of, <laughs> you know, not part of the main nine. But you know it's it counts. So um, and basically, yeah, it's um, 
it's the story it's basically what jesus did in the holidays but what jesus did while he was dead so it's like a two it's like a two part thing and it's the first is his trial and crucifixion hmm. and then the second part is him going to hell where he frees loads of people who like loads of souls from hell who shouldn't have gone hmm. um from what i can gather mostly sort of like big important names because you, know, <laughs> you know the little people don't really count where the jesus is concerned uh, well <laughs> certainly in the in the hell of the fiction but um yeah blessed are the meek but um yeah i did rescue that very rich pope from hell yeah uh, <laughs> where where frankly he'd probably been asking for it um but anyway so and that is what's described as the harrowing of hell is Jesus freeing all these? Because it's a weird one because it's actually quite a positive. Although it's called the harrowing of hell, it's like, oh no, that's actually something positive taking place where souls are being freed. And hmm. similarly enough, in this, there is an element where, I mean, not from Katie's perspective, but where uh, Hector and Tabitha are doing, they're not devil worshippers. You know, they, they are. Yeah, they are trying. Yeah, I was going to say they are trying to do the right thing. Unfortunately, mm. it just means that someone is going to get screwed over in order for them to save the world. So, yeah. although they are the bad guys in a way, ultimately, if they don't do that job, everyone's screwed. So it's yeah. So yeah, they are it's... kind of the good guys, but not. It's really strange. Well, and also, strange. Like, is it terrible for Katie to become the vessel? Yes. I wouldn't like, like that. I wouldn't like feet like that. I like half my shoes. I'd have to throw but, away. But he didn't actually shoes. seem like too unhappy. Yeah, because that's Castiel. Yeah. Okay. So you still experience? Well, I'm assuming that ten-year-old Andras is stuck in there somewhere, mm. in this sort of tormented state, while this beast creature rages that it can't be free to cause mischief <laughs> and and essentially you are tied to a bed and fed rusks and milk for 50 years now some people probably quite like that but, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a king i've not got, got but yeah you know if, if but if you well i don't even mean that i think just lazy bastards you know <laughs> i'm just, just not not even a king just people who can't be asked I'd I want just think it was funny, the, uh, oh, yeah. the stair lift, because he, he couldn't be bothered to walk up the stairs. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Because uh, that's the thing as well, is I like the first half because it's kind of, it's, well, I think and that was another thing that they mentioned was the Adams family. Because mm. it is that sort of thing of it's just these very unusual siblings, but also just the sort of things like, don't worry, I'm not a vampire. Yeah. Uh, I play guitar. Well, he's got the long finger, which he does because yeah. obviously he brings the guitar out later. <laughs> and I do love, I love, love that bit about the salt circle. It's not maybe they got slugs. So. <laughs> I, I just, I love that. Like, and it's shot so, and that's the thing. Although you know, as we've said before, it, it um, it obviously draws quite a lot on that um, uh, House of the Devil. It's a very mm. British version. Like, this is if oh, Hatton yeah. did it. Um, and I just love the look of everything. I mean, the house looks amazing. 
Um, mm. I mean, that artwork as well, when when that goth girl turns up, mm. Shelley, and says, oh, I could live here. And I was like, I would kill to live there. You're crazy. <laughs> like, it's but maybe not with the cold. But, yeah, like, it's so dark. And cause Jennifer mentioned while we were watching it this afternoon, she was like, oh, I think we're going to struggle to spot the, the hair. Oh, no, she said the opposite, sorry. She said it should be easy to spot the hair because the house is so kind of empty. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but it's almost in the pitch black the whole way through. It's really hard. I did spot the hair in the end. I was quite pleased with myself. Um, Whereabouts is it? I don't know. So when they go into Hector's bedroom and she picks up the guitar, there's a bedside lamp. There's like a bedside oh. table with just a lamp and the hair is just the only thing, that, uh, the only oh, other right. thing that's on the bedside table. Um, well spotted, sir. But yeah, that's the only time I've spotted it, apart from in the episode where it plays obviously a massive part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, like like Seance Time, this is, uh, and the Riddle of the Sphinx, we've accidentally ended up back at uh, Lang- Langleyberry House hmm. for the interiors. Um, so again, it's that really big, great gothic staircase. Um, now, have I got it right? Sorry, I just just before, because you might be about to say it, and I'm so pleased with myself that I think I spotted it. I believe that is the same staircase from Psychoville, that yep. the, the house that the blind guy owned. Only because I remember yep. Daniel Kaluuya standing at the bottom of the stairs there. Um, yeah, and him going, got a lot of stuff, mate. Because <laughs> yeah. I think, because I think Psychoville and this shoot it almost exactly the same. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, it's it's in Psychoville, it was in Whitechapel, and it's, yeah, it's rooms from it are in the Riddle of the Sphinx, Seance Time, uh, mostly utilising that staircase. Mm. Um, the um, the chair, the stair lift was a prop, but it wasn't functional. So that's just going up on like a pulley. It looks um, really good. <laughs> it looks really good, but also... When and it was on its last it, legs. But when you think about it, you're like, actually, yeah, I don't think I see anyone. I think Shell's the only person you actually see in it moving. No, I think, no, because Shell doesn't get in it because her friend says no, she doesn't. Like, it's too big. Mm. You, yeah, yeah, you're too big for it. And she went, oh, I've only been here five minutes and you called me fat. But yeah. uh, we do see uh, Helen McCrory's character sit in it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. move. She just sits in it at the bottom and then she gets up and wanders off. So, yeah. Yeah. And also, um, when Hector appears, he just appears like you hear the stair lift. Yeah. And yeah. they start using that as a scare tactic. Because mm. then the stair lift is like you're aware of what that means. Yeah. And it's quite, you know, that's actually quite a unique sort of scare, I think, in mm. something that they've used that, especially with the, yeah, I just think, because um, the house being cold as well, is that was the other thing they mentioned was, oh, and they talk about ice holding Satan. Mm. Um, that is in the ninth circle of hell. So again, they're trying to bring it back to it's inside number nine. <laughs> but, uh... There's just so much goes into writing these. And I, I, I think yeah. even if you don't pick up on all of them, it just adds like another level, all those little extra bits mm. that just goes to kind of solidify the universe that they're working in. Um, yeah, and, and that's you a, see why there was a place for the, for that book that you've got, Adam. The insiders. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah! Yes. I mean, this is the thing. The podcast they did as well, Inside Inside Number Nine, mm. much the same thing because you get it's that like 
most things you can sort of like, oh, well, there's the thing. I enjoyed it. There's the commentary. I enjoyed it or whatever. Whereas actually with this, there's so many sort of bits and pieces that you miss out on or sort of just suddenly make you aware when you've got this dense thing. And, you know, because there isn't a slight episode, really, of Inside Number 9. They're they're all pretty, you know, it's pretty densely plotted or uh, run out. You know, it's sort of, yeah. I can't work out how they have the time. Like, because they do so (laughs) much other stuff as well, it seems like the writing process just for a single episode of this must be months the amount of stuff that they cram into it and mm. um yeah and they still seem to be doing 101 other projects at the same time they must uh yeah they must literally sleep for about two hours a night i think i don't know where else they manage it are they are they sticking to the vincent price principle oh yeah you know probably, i'm yeah. not turning it down i might not get off again yeah yeah <laughs> must be exhausting but i mean yeah as fans of them it's fantastic because it means there's always something being turned out and it's always mm. top quality as you say you know like you know how many seasons in a we now seven and there isn't a phoned in episode there isn't a filler episode there isn't one that you wouldn't go back and watch again i mean there's ones i've said i won't go back and watch again but not because they're not great but just because they down the living shit out of me <laughs> they really do which is what they're designed I, I, to do. So, yeah, but I think also it's it's quite. There's not really a similar thing. You haven't really had that thing of oh well, that was like that previous episode or that twist yeah. was similar to that. They've really managed to keep out of you know doubling up or. I just don't you know, know how the... they've done it for sixty odd episodes and kept everyone so fresh. And you know, even the gimmicky episodes and stuff. Like I love those. I think they're so, mm. yeah, they're just so well. They still work as to change. Yeah, yeah. It's not just mm. like oh, well, that's the as you say, like the gimmicky one where they did it all in rhyme and stuff. Like there's so much happens in that episode that's genuinely fantastic. Um. And all they've really done is taken a really good episode and made it even more difficult for themselves to write. Which... Yeah. Yeah. As, just as an extra little challenge. Hats <laughs> off to them. Like, how good have you got to be where you're trying to make your own life more difficult than it should be? <laughs> but but that, is, that is where they, you know, they seriously do care. It's like, it is passion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And they care about the audience, clearly, because it's, mm. you know, they, they do put 110% into everything, which... Which which is why, yeah, they've got such a great um, rewatchability more than mm. um, you know Tales of the Unexpected or the Twilight Zone. You know, I love the Twilight Zone, but once you've seen an episode, you kind of don't really go back to them very often. I, I'm 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 quite happy to wallow in them. I'll be <laughs> honest, but, it's, but it, no, but it is it is very true. I think especially especially things where it's like just the fund. If there's stuff with a fundamental single twist. You know, you're not really gonna, um, and, and but then it's that thing as well is that if the quality of the writing, the quality of this hmm. is that rewatchability of like you can still enjoy, like the second time you watch it, it's like right, how did we get there? Yeah, you know, you can, or you can start seeing. Oh, actually, or say for example, like the stakeout, you can just sit there and it's like. There's the reference to him being a vampire. There's the reference to him being a vampire. Yeah. You know, and just sort of, you realise that actually it's been building from 
sort of the first moment. Well, as you said, Chris, it was one of the first things you said when we, you know, as soon as we started recording. I, I love you said you loved this more the second time because yeah. you enjoyed the tension the first time and then the second mm. time you go back and enjoy the comedy. Enjoyed the comedy, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and yeah. appreciating more references. It's like nope, there's more there's more there. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas mm. you sort of focused on certain things each time. It's yeah, it's just because there's so much in it. And you are trying to work out where it's going, whereas yeah, the yeah. next time when you know where it's going, you can sit back and enjoy the ride without mm. trying to yeah, which is, yeah, you, yeah, you're you're not trying to second guess them or no. sitting there going, "Oh fuck, where's this going?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, work of genius. Um, right. So, yes. So that was the harrowing. Uh, and now, as it's Christmas, let us discuss uh, the Devil of Christmas. So, the Devil of Christmas was series three, episode one. Uh, well, technically, because I think it was a couple of weeks before the rest of the series came on. Hmm. Uh, and it was first broadcast on the 27th of December, 2016. So um, so is that like a Christmas special that starts <laughs> off the season? Then is uh, that... kind, kind of, yeah. How they do I it, think, yeah. Okay. I think that's what they're doing this year because they've got the, mm. I think the Christmas special's gone out by the time this has come out. Oh, so, yeah. oh yes, it yeah. is. I think we're posting this on Christmas Eve, and that's that's on the twenty third. So it would have come out. Oh, just, nice! Just the um, night before. So yeah, but I'm assuming that it's going to be pretty fucking good. Um, oh yeah, and um, yeah. So then series eight is going to follow on, but I don't know quite how quickly. So yeah, yeah. Um, but and what was it? Steve described it as uh, an anti. But was it? Uh, it's an anti-Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> it's so. Yeah, it, it's one of. The, we've done it again. Yeah, it's yeah. one of the ones that just caught me so off guard. It's like the ones we said before, where you get so drawn into it, and you're like, right, it's an old TV show. This mm. is the DVD commentary, and you just kind of forget, yeah, and just get wrapped up into it. And then that, not to jump too far ahead, but yeah, then that last five minutes comes in, you're just like, oh well, fucking hell, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's some, yeah, yeah, darkest episode ever, I think, to be it, honest, quite possibly. <laughs> I th- they, I they did it- actually. They the very very end bit somehow made it not. It made it okay again for me. I was like, "So, but we'll come to that." <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, because they sort of start it off, and it's—I think it's a good five minutes before they bring in the commentary bit. Mm-hmm. And actually, I remember when I watched it. At that point, I was like, "But this can't be a DVD commentary because they never rewind." <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I was kind of like that's and then just totally forgot about that and just watched it and it was like oh good the dvd commentary bits come on again and i actually worried this time because as you say because it takes so long for that first voiceover and in my head thinking back to it it had done it the whole way through so when Mm. i was watching it and it didn't and i was like 
is there a separate audio track or something that I need to enable? Because they should definitely have been talking about it before now. Yeah, and then when it comes in, I was like, oh yeah, no, it's it's all good, and it just That's... it just lets it play out as is, mm. and then adds that commentary element. And oh yeah, and it's just it, yeah, and it's nice because it gives you the setup, and then they can introduce that over a bit you've seen. Yeah, so you can you'll just listen to the commentary, not the. What's happening? Because you're not like, well, what they should I be knowing what they're saying while this person's talking? Yeah. Um, So it shows just how skilled they are. Even doing something like this that is almost like it's it's not right to say it's a cheap trick, but it is sort of using the technology in a way to create the effect, sort of in a meta way. You know, it's yeah, yeah, and, and and yet still, yeah, doing it so effectively. It's there's an element of having their cake and eating it because they um, obviously love like the sort of anthology shows like from the era that this is meant to be because I think it's like seventy seven yeah is yeah, on the clapperboard yeah. at the start um, and um, yeah they, they sort of so like stuff like tales of the unexpected I think what was the other one they mentioned beasts and thriller. As well, I don't know if you've seen Brian Clemens' Thriller, which is a very similar sort of one. I believe Beasts and Thriller have both been Christmas presents from yourself, Adam, that you ah, bought right, okay. the box itself in previous <laughs> years. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and I think they're it's like they want to do that because it's mm. something they love. Yeah, and in a weird way, I think if they hadn't come up with the director's commentary it'd be more like something like dark place where it would be the comedy derived not just from the plot but from the sort of the the knowledge of old tv and making it look like that yeah yeah and and they said the re the the first reason they came up with the dvd commentary was because they wanted people not to miss stuff like because they were like oh look because they know the thing about like the actors eating, yeah, yeah. just moving the yeah. food around the plate and stuff like that. And they were like, right, we but we want people to notice this. We've noticed this. We know it, mm. but we want people to notice how well we're doing this production um, yeah. style. Absolutely, and, and like Rula Lenska miss it when they said, you know, she wouldn't wear glasses because it didn't suit her character. Yeah. You can imagine people being like that on set, and doing like, it. Yeah, yeah, oh, you, yeah. Keep, you keep missing Definitely. your mark, and mm. you're stood in front of the camera, and you're totally fucking it up because of some, you know, like over the top. Oh, but I'm an actor. I need to get into the character and just making a, you know, a pain of yourself on set. Yeah, and, yeah, and it just it just adds that ultra cringy awkwardness to it that's mm. it, yeah. it almost gives another layer of they are actually teaching you a bit about like you know like we're saying and then yeah. the same way they did that with the cryptic crosswords it's like that mm. could be so awful if someone tries to do that yet somehow it it's really it, good as well it and sort it is, of gives it you a cr- it sort of gives you a crash course in how they used to make yeah. television yeah and like stuff about the um suitcases yeah. yeah, that's yes. a problem. Always <laughs> empty suitcases, they're too yeah. light, you know. And it's sort of, um, but oh, and, the, so, and then the bit when, it, when he sees that they're in a line, and it's like, I'd seen that, and it's oh, yeah, you saw that, did you? I thought, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they must have deliberately known that everyone would notice that. <laughs> and it's sort of, yeah, it's just like a, um, 
it's kind of like a love letter to that. Mm. But also the DVD, like it, obviously it's not a DVD commentary, but the commentary yeah. is very much like commentary. I've watched uh, obviously from Doctor Who, but loads of old mm. TV stuff. I like archive TV. I like old TV. And it does feel like a commentary you'd get on there of like some old lovey director, you know, where he's going, oh, I think he, uh, I think he had an Othello in him, but uh, he never pursued it. <laughs> and sort of stuff like that is just yeah. so right, mm. you know. And, and again, lulling you into this false sense of security it's with charming that character because he's quite yeah. a sort of just yeah. charming old lovey, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, uh, but basically, and this is where we need to give a shout out to Adam Tandy, who is the producer of Inside Number Nine. He's been produced. He's produced all seven series, mm. presumably the eighth as well. Um, and he'd worked his way up. He was a floor manager in the eighties, so he'd worked on TV productions in studio like this. Mm. And basically, what happens is is you've got the gallery where the director sits up with uh, vision mixer and they tell the cameras it's a multi-camera thing and they and basically the actors perform it almost like a play and the cameras are choreographed to where they've got to be mm. so it's like right close up on three for the big line there and you know that right, has got to be back. such a hard job to do that's insane cut, it's insane cut back to the wide shot that's why like they said there's all stuff like the boom mics and things you know, when you'd like get a boom appearing in the top of a shot. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it's literally because unless, well, what is it they, they say in there? It's like someone, unless someone actually walks into the furniture, you didn't stop yeah. filming. Yeah. And that's very true because what basically, the, this is the old sort of process for a lot of this stuff, of a lot of TV production at the time uh, of, of that era is um, so... Yes, yeah, so you've got the director up in the gallery. He's calling the shots, literally, um, which is relayed down to a floor manager who is then telling the actors what to do. So it's a very indirect link, almost. Mm -hmm. The actors kind of perform it like parts of a play, and the cameras are literally sh shooting all the time, and they switch between each one, and they actually mix it live. <laughs> Like as live almost, you know, they're sort of like you yeah. know, there, there's breaks in between where it's like right, cut to the next scene or like that. But essentially, yeah, every thing you see is a big chunk of acting. It's not close ups and sort of you know. That whereas with a film, so much harder than like, like Hollywood oh, actors yeah. obviously consider themselves the you know the cream of the cream. But doing it as you say, like this, where you've got information that you're getting you know, third hand that you need to deal with there and there. Like, that's mm. got to be almost impossible. And as you say, and then the camera crew suddenly become as important as the actors because if the camera isn't in the right place or the boom's in shot or, like, it's just, mm. it's got to be incredibly choreographed to, to pull that off. It's a, a it, work of art. It really gives you an appreciation of, it's like, fuck me, you did a brilliant job. Mm. You know, when you're usually sort of sitting there going, oh, fucking boom shadow there or whatever like that. It's like, look, look, there were only a couple of wobbles in this. Well done. Yeah. Is, you know, something that's because it's such a difficult thing. And so Adam Tandy was like, I want to make this, you know, I want to really sort of help you do this as a 
um, like as an old production. So they literally filmed it as per that method. Mm, so God. they went back to that old method. So it was filmed at Elstree Studio D, which is one of the BBC's sort of um, main ones and sort of tells the unexpected. Loads of stuff's been filmed there. Filmed multi-camera in standard definition and the 4-3 ratio. So I don't know if you noticed that, but it's only the opening credits yeah. that are in widescreen, essentially. And then you've got the black bars down the side where it's just a square. Yeah. And, um, and he knew that it was like, so he said, well, they were saying, oh, well, can we get visual effects? So things like when the camera passes a candle and it smears, yeah, which is actually just an, a thing of old cameras. It basically is like, I think it's like the tube getting slightly fucked mm. because mm. it's getting too much light. And it's, um, and they were like, oh, well, we can add that in post. And they're like, no, that doesn't, no, there isn't a way of doing this. Yeah. The only way you can do this is to film it on vintage kit. And actually wow. what they were filming on was cameras that were hired out for as props. So if you were <laughs> doing a TV show set in an old studio, you hired old cameras and that's what they were using. It, mm. That's why it just looks so authentic. Like it yeah. really yeah. does, as you say, look like that old... Uh, 1970 because obviously the, there was a lot of this british horror in the 1970s that was done mm. um at like uh, unless the uh, i'm sure it was at elstree and stuff but by the smaller studios and the stuff that was yeah. made for the bbc um yeah and this looks absolutely identical it's yeah it's scary how good again it's that attention to detail and not just mm. saying we'll try and fudge it in post it's no let's do it properly um, yeah but yeah, that's actually, a very brave undertaking, I think. And actually, I think, like, obviously you've got uh, Rula Lenster in there who comes yes. from a period where she had filmed like that. And she mm. basically, it wasn't until she sort of, she wanted to meet, when they offered her the part, she wanted to meet them because she was kind of thinking, is this just going to be a piss take? Is this just a yeah. parody? Because, yeah. you know, because I think she was almost like, as we're thinking right now, where it's like, no. We did fucking well under bloody awful circumstances. Yeah, so don't, you don't you want dare someone exactly. Yeah, you don't want someone mocking like you know the amount yeah. of work. You know, someone who's now got it easy, quote unquote. Um, mm. Yeah, to then be like, and, yeah, it was shit back then, wasn't it? And it's like, yeah, no, you don't realise like how easy you have it. So yeah, yeah, I can totally see why she'd feel that way. So and then Adam Tan. So basically, and. How that this is how they would make. I mean, basically, like the stone tape would have been made like this. That would have been like long scenes filmed with multiple cameras. And if there was one slightly out of focus at one point, fuck it, we've got to keep going. Yeah. Because this was the other thing was as well with the studios. Is it would be like with the BBC? It was strictly union, so it was like right, the lights go out at ten. So if you haven't filmed this. You haven't filmed That's it. That's it. Yeah. Mm. You don't have an option to come back next day because we've got to do it for nationwide and top of the pops. Mm. Or do you know what I mean? It's like don't so get it done. And so what they would have is they'd have five days rehearsal and then a day in the studio was Actually, basically yeah. it. Wow. And and the rehearsal was not so much like what is my motivation? It was literally with sticky tape on the floor to represent where the set would be and mm. your marks. 
So it's like, right, you've got to be there by this point, and this camera's got to be, and you, cameraman, you've got to be there at this point and stuff. And yeah, it's fucking insane and intense, you know. And I think they actually filmed this over two days in the studio because they just knew that that was improbable to to get it actually right. Yeah. You know, because it was just asking too much, especially as that was one restriction that they didn't necessarily have to stick with. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a very sort of, I'm just, and the thing is, is that, um, what was it that, yeah, but so, um, Adam Tandy was like, right, we need a director, um, who can do this sort of stuff. Who's used to it. Yeah. Yeah. And he so he he said that he spoke to a few people and they were like quite uh, what was it he said they got a bit sniffy because it was like well mm-hmm. actually I want to direct a proper episode of Inside Number Nine like, like as if it's sort of like yeah but I don't want to be hired just to do this pastiche I want to show off what I can do now you know with, and yeah um, but the name that he got hold of was Graham Harper who hadn't retired who I don't think he's retired now mm. um, who he was. Um, he was originally he was a child star, but he was he also then uh, worked his way up from runner to director at the BBC over the course of the seventies and eighties, and he um, he basically had to he's he's got the distinction of being the only director who's worked on old Doctor Who and new Doctor Who because it was kind of like he had such a rep from when he did the classic series because he did like. Mm-hmm. He did two that are real sort of like Caves of Androzani and Revelation of the Daleks, which are big, like just amazingly shot episodes, especially when you've when you you're used to it looking more like the Devil of Christmas. Yeah. You know, oh, okay. he actually yeah. made it he actually sort of like epic. moved beyond that. And curiously mm. enough, because I knew about because I know about reading stories of this, like stuff about the stuff he's made for Doctor Who, weirdly enough, he directed from the floor. So he was already quite a forward-thinking director. That's why he's still working now, I think, mm-hmm. because he was already like, look, if I'm up there, what the fuck can I do? If yeah. I'm down here, it's more direct. I can tell the actors what we're doing and stuff like that. And he was, and at the BBC, it was like sort of, it was a bit frowned upon because it was like, well, you know, it's not, not how it's done. But we don't like and, direct um, directors. Like, we yeah, like indirect directors. <laughs> and it was, but that was the thing. Is it, it, it proved itself in yeah. how the product came out because it always looked great. Yeah. Um, and then he did the new series. He directed The Detectives, which me and Claire have been watching, um, like the Jasper Carrot, Robert oh, Pausch. God, series. I love that. Uh, new Statesman, Sarah Jane Adventures, Star Cops, The Bill, Grange Hill, Juliet Bravo, Boom, Bergerac, Howard's Way, EastEnders, Bike, Agrov, Casualty, mm. Holby City, The District Nurse, The House of Elliot, and loads of fucking Coronation Street. Bloody He's done a bit then. Yeah. And so, but he knows both worlds. And yeah, yeah so he's such an ideal person. Uh, he has also directed, he directed Bernie Clifton's Dressing Room and and The Winner Is uh, for um, Series 4. Yeah. So he, done, he has done other Inside Number 9s after this, but this was like his introduction because literally he was like the only guy who was like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> and... But all those people who passed that up, like this, mm-hmm. as much as I love this show, this episode is such a standout. It's such a mm. fantastic, rewatchable. I think I've probably rewatched this episode, apart from uh, Riddle of the Sphinx. I think this is the one I've rewatched most. 
Um, yeah. Because it's such a great Christmas rewatch. So it does come out every year. The only reason I haven't watched it for Christmas this year is I've watched it for this, technically. <laughs> but it's nearly Christmas and I would have been watching it anyway. So you kind of got to for there. Yeah. <coughs> I wonder with the acting as well. It's again, everyone acts kind of really quite wooden and quite, quite uncomfortable. Yeah, and I wonder if it's like musicians where you have to be an exceptionally good musician to sort of mm. fake it and play shit. Pull off it bad, oh, yeah. yeah. Like convincingly Definitely. bad. It looks we, bad, but it's not actually bad. Yeah. <laughs> me, and Claire were trying, me and Claire were trying to work out if they've got a rubbish kid actor or a brilliant kid actor. Yeah. <laughs> because that kid is so perfect. Yeah. Mm. Um. What's his name? George Bedford. I think this is the only thing he's got credit for. But he is absolutely perfect to how kids are in those things. Like like the yeah. bit where he wanders off with the folk. Yeah, and then I doesn't know what that. to do with it. Yeah. And it's it's just a little thing in there that's not really that made a it's not made a big thing of. I don't think they even mention it on the like voiceover. But um yeah, I think he's really great. Um Jessica Rain, who's Kathy does the right amount of you know it's especially when it's like the sort of um it's the bit where they're outside in the snow and then you just hear the director go and you're cold yeah and then she starts shivering <laughs> yeah and then she starts oh, oh. and again but i think that i think both reese and steve it's particularly steve mm. he ref he refers to this as a simon mac mccorkendale role who is uh, you know, beasts. It's the one with baby. You know, with the the thing in the wall, thing yeah, like yeah. that would have been sold. Yeah, Simon McMcCorkendale is the but Simon. Is it McMcCorkendale or just McCork? No, it's Simon McCorkendale. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, he um, he's the wanker husband in that episode. Yeah, yeah. And it is yeah, and but Steve gets to do all his sort of favourite league moments of like like talking but looking to the camera. Like just <laughs> just off to the camera. In, in that way that no one actually does have a conversation where you essentially be looking at the wall. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while the person behind you is uh, um and sort of and a lot of oh, it is! and just sort of you know big explosive acts and fucking Reese and that German accent. Yeah. yeah, I mean that is, yeah. So I I love the fact that they're having their cake and eating it. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. And with you know with Steve, you know where they had the the extra bit of oh yeah, he was trying to get out of here because he had a Finder's advert, and then he's just of it so obviously rushing his lines. Yes, uh, yeah, and, and I just love that. That is the kind of thing you're like, yeah, I can totally imagine that being a. You know, it was the same as we said with seance time, where she was like, oh, I need to be on stage by six o'clock and I can't have red yeah. eyes and all that. And it is, it's that same thing of, right, well, I need to wrap up here because I need to get going. So if I just rush through it and drop all the natural pauses and it just, oh, it, it, it does just reek of, yeah, I've seen stuff like that where people are just like, I'm fucking done with this and I want to go home and I just want to smack yeah. through it. And get out of here. I also, I love the, I love the fact that, um, there's uh oh it's 
the bit with the is on the um sorry i've gone completely blind there i don't know what i was talking about <laughs> but <laughs> no did anyone else have i kept thinking steve pemberton was matt berry in this for some reason yes i just kept on matt thinking what? Like, yeah he's like perfect i don't know was it is it like him from dark place or i i was trying to think yeah he's dr lucy was sanchez yeah. Well, yeah toast is basically yeah that yeah. kind of an actor yeah. So, you know, it is that sort of thing. And also, I think just that whole stuff about older actors, I think they'd be far too professional to say who. Mm. Um, but it's definitely shit they've encountered along the way. Yeah. Or sort of, you know, or, or at least stories they're hearing secondhand because they're both, they both do a lot of theatre. And yeah, so I don't think it's uh, yeah, I don't think it's an entirely alien world to them. It's sort of, it does yeah. come out a hell of a lot in within it. Um, oh, one thing I have to say is that also Graham Harper is possibly another incarnation of the Doctor. I'm just saying that now. That's because back in Tom Baker's day, they had a thing where the Doctor was taken back through his lives, and they were like. Oh, wouldn't it be funny if we just all dressed up in kit? Like the director and the producer and the script editor were all like, what if, if we just dressed up in period dress and we could be previous incarnations of the Doctor? Graham Harper is one of those people. He was like a floor manager at the time. <laughs> and now there's been whole sort of chain, revolutionary changes within the overall plot line of Doctor Who, etc. Technically, Graham Harper could turn up as a previous incarnation of the Doctor. And I... <laughs> That just you know that just compounds the whole offence for me. Really, it's wonderful. <laughs> um, the thing that got me, so I, as I say, I've watched this every Christmas. This episode, so mm. this is probably my, I don't know, seventh or eighth watch of this. Um, I hadn't picked up that the voice for the commentary is Derek Jacobi. Uh, how yes. I missed that, I have no idea, but. Yeah, now, as soon as I saw it on IMDb, you know, just as we were about to start recording, I always pull up IMDb and get all the actors' names up. Um, yeah, and I was like, how did I not recognise him? He's got such a fantastic, recognisable yes. voice. Um, and as of you course. say, from that same period as well, from the, you know, from the 70s and doing that whole live acting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just not... Ah. And the interesting fact about Sir Derek Jacobi is he's the only other actor apart from Reese and Steve who's been in multiple episodes of Inside Number Nine. Ah. Because they have that ruling about they're not going to have yeah. people in twice. So how but, did he? But Derek Jacobi is in How Do You Plead? But they were like, it's Derek Jacobi and we only used his voice last time. So we're going to break <laughs> the rule and. Get Derek Jacobi. <laughs> if he's willing to come back, how could you possibly not? I mean, what well, a fantastic also, how, actor! I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to lose this. Or how do you plead? No, no. They're both fucking brilliant, and yeah, and it's also very nice to hear it when you've been suffering a lot from inside the night garden as well. <laughs> What's that, Eagle Pickle? It's a snuff film. <laughs> you know, it's so. But I mean, Derek Jacobi, fucking prince among men. Yeah. Um, again, back to Doctor Who. He's been the master twice. Um, there's oh, just so many fucking things that he's been in. Uh, obviously, I Claudius, which if you've never seen, it, is fucking 
amazing and he is he is the most amazing thing about a, a production that's got Brian Blessed in it, John Hurt, um, just so, so many fucking uh, names in it. And, yeah, he is brilliant throughout. And, yeah, and yeah, and he's been in Tales of the Unexpected. Did you ever see Viciously? I it's don't a... believe I did. Oh, it's because it was this. Because I, I don't really remember it, but it was a sitcom. It was, and it's him and um, Ian McKellen um, oh. as these two, like this elderly gay couple who um, are like ex theatre and just a pair of old bitchy. <laughs> it's sort of yeah. That sounds excellent. I will definitely uh, be looking that up. Yeah, let yeah let me know what you find because I remember I, I've only ever seen one bit of it, which was as I was switching channels, and it was just the two of them going into a nightclub and going, "See, we're not the old, we're not the oldest ones here, are we? That's a mirror." Yeah, I think I it had um, Miss Jones in it as well. <laughs> Yeah, see, I can imagine him and uh, Ian McKellen, yeah, playing that kind of older theatrical. Because, because that's the thing. Like they have mm. done, they have trodden the boards, and they've been in so much stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've got such a good sense of humour. I can I can imagine them bringing all of their real life experiences. You know, like we said with this, bringing their real life experiences of those very hammy. Over oh, the yes, top definitely. actors to a sitcom and just making it outstanding. So yeah, I'll definitely be looking that up. But um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously. I mean, he did. He was Cad File. Did the Long Firm. Um, the remake of Randall and Hopkirk deceased. I think he's in one with Mark Gatiss. Uh, this is Gintzy. Just yeah, loads and loads of stuff. But also does voices on the Amazing World of Gumball and narrates in the Night Garden. <laughs> so you know. It's just, it's just bizarre. The uh, the interviewer, who obviously now turns out to be the interviewing officer, um, <laughs> is a guy is a guy called Kevin. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's Kevin Clarken, um, and he's in Gangster Number One, Tales from the Lodge, Muscle Pierpoint, Johnny English Strikes Again. I wonder how he got the job, um, but oh, you'll yes. probably know him. From the IT crowd, yes, he's the guy who they go off with, uh, thinking he's just a football hooligan and end up on a bank job with him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's and, good. And and he's in fifty. He was Glenn in Fifteen Stories High, which I'm a nutter. Where he's posted. He's, I'll show you how much of a nutter I am. I'm going to post you me underpants, <laughs> and then just. Can I have my pants back, please? <laughs> um, and he's in Green Wing Shadow, like because he's he's one of those actors who's he's absolutely fucking terrifying in the right role. He's like mm. a proper, you know, he can be really quite menacing, yeah, but also utterly hapless in yeah. other ways. He's really, really fucking good, and it, and he's um, uh, like in Smack the Pony and yeah, just loads of stuff. He's one of those sort of he's sort of mostly came up through a lot of comedy shows but now i think mm. he's um you know oh he's in um he's in dead set as well oh yeah Love i recommended yeah. that one time mm. oh it's incredible incredible yeah. I, I re-watched it last year i think because i hadn't seen it in such a long time yeah and that's another one of those not to get off topic um 
another one of those like the horror is 110 percent but the comedy mm. is just side-splittingly funny and yeah it just it it just works and I, I thought at the time it wasn't going to age well, but I think because mm. Big Brother lasted so long as it did, it actually mm. still stayed fairly relevant. So, yeah, I think also it's um, but that's again something that we may need to come to because I think it's unless unless we did a I don't know a Black Mirror. <laughs> actually, we did Bandersnatch. Thinking yeah. about it, yeah, yeah, so, we did. yeah. But uh, I need to go back and redo Bandersnatch because I I think I did it twice at the time, um, and mm. it was when it had first come out, and everyone was suffering with the um, like the the broadband issues of everybody doing Bandersnatch at the same time, and now oh, it's hopefully yeah. settled down. I might be able to go and get through it without it being quite so glitchy because like that was that was such a a game changing idea. Mm. Um, yeah. Which, the, which no one seems to have done much with, to be honest. I, I Probably, think it might it might be that it only suits certain things in a way. Yeah. Like, and and they yeah, it just seemed to work really well for that. There's an interactive. I think he did like an interactive quiz on Netflix, Charlie Brooker, which was similar sort of technology, but it was like a cart. It was like it looked a bit like a. Sort of Tom and Jerry, Looney Tunes oh, kind of yes, thing. Yes, yes. With a yes. cat. I did have a go at that as well, yeah. Yeah. But I, again, it was okay. It just sort of, but yeah, I think Bandersnatch was just such a, but then probably it's like, you look at it and if you were going to, if you were thinking about doing it, it's like, right, well, someone's done the best of this anyway. So I'm probably not going to be able to, top yeah. that so yeah, fuck yeah. it i won't bother because it sounds like a lot more hassle to fuck up it's charlie brooker it is a game and a film at the same time mm. like if there is yeah. anybody you can put those two things together in perfect symmetry it's gonna be him really isn't it? and make mm. it dark as fuck as well which it totally was i mean back back to the devil of christmas though i'm also glad that there's that krampus legend is in there without mm. having to go into it or yeah. it actually be Krampus or anything. I do like the way that Reese says that at the end, though. I am Krampus. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, especially because it was like, I think we were all just like, oh, they're doing a Krampus episode of Inside Number 9. And that was a total fucking miss sell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well done. Well done, man. Because, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, fantastic. Well, and the cop was so but, much better. Yeah. Uh, was this before the Krampus movie came out as well? The uh, No, Krampus is 2013, okay. I think. Um, and this is, this was, um, I think this was 2014. No. 2016. 2016. Yeah. So, yeah, 2016, I think, would have definitely been way after um, the Krampus film. Movie. But I think that's why it works, as you say, because as soon as you hear it's a Krampus episode, you think you know where it's going, and then, as mm. always, they then just pull the rug out from well, under. They lull, lull you into a sense of <laughs> yeah. it's it's not going to be that that bad. Oh no, it's way worse. <laughs> and, I, it, and it's a weird thing as well because you kind of assume that the Devil at Christmas. It's like 
oh yeah, the entertainment industry was full of a lot more, you know, bad shit going down. Yeah, and when he's like, when, yeah, and it's when he when he says about, um, oh yes, there it is. There's the moment they realise what's happening, mm. and it's like, right. So this isn't a one-off, is it? Yeah, <laughs> you know this is this is a reasonably regular thing that goes on after hours at Elm Street. So, <laughs> and I think that's why it caught me so <clears throat> off guard because it went so much darker than I was expecting. Mm. Like, it, although it works on a dual level all the way through of the hilarious bad acting and the commentary and stuff, and, and mm. then you kind you you know you still know there's going to be a twist at the end. But I didn't think it was going to go anywhere gonna go near to... where it did. And then, yeah, and you, you do find as as the audience, you're like, well, where is this? Where is this going to stop? Like even this time, yeah. You know, I've seen because then he mentions before he mentions something about like the, the climax, and then it's like, but what is it going to end there again? Or yeah, it's, like, um, it's fantastic. It's yeah. absolute. I cannot wait for this year's Christmas one. I really can't. Uh, we've got Simon Callow in it this year as well. Oh, no, really? Yeah. Oh, Simon God. Callow, um, I think Shabna Galati. And, but, it, yeah, it's it was fun, funny enough is because we've been watching um, the Gatiss Christmas special, uh, Christ, uh, Ghost Stories for Christmas. Mm. Uh, and, um, yeah, they had, uh, we watched Dead Room with Simon Callow. And Claire was like, has Simon Callow done an inside number nine? And they were like, no, but he's going to be in it. He is going to. <laughs> now, that it is was... going to be phenomenal, I'm certain. Now, there was also, obviously, there's the rabbit you can spot, but did you spot one of the Shearsmith and Pemberton lines? No. Um, eating as, an apple as if twere. Yes. An, no, eating an onion as if twere an apple. Sorry, yes, I did, yes. Which is obviously League and Psychoville and, yeah, just... I think it's in is in the trial of Elizabeth Gadge as well. They yeah. they like that line. <laughs> Excellent. Right. So thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Um we don't know what we're doing after this because I've just realized we haven't planned anything, but we will definitely know before it, obviously we'll know before it happens, but we will let you all know on the social. So uh yeah. It Go might be a twist. We have no idea. Yeah, or yep. well, maybe we'll just surprise you. A January treat. We'll see what happens. Ooh. Ooh. Well, in the meantime, a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas and Happy Merry New Year. Christmas. Yes, and thank you all for listening. Yeah, as always, good night. Night. Good night.